Welcome to Bethany. It's so good to have each of you here this morning. I'd like to invite you to take a journey with me over the next couple of weeks as we talk about Jesus' last words from the cross. And uh, we're going to begin this morning in Luke chapter 23. And so I invite you to turn there, if you would. It's page 68, if you're using the uh, Pew Bible this morning. Jesus' last words. You know, we use words a lot to communicate. Um, we use words to communicate our deepest and most intimate feelings to the ones that we love. We use words to uh, close business deals, which affect the financial impact of our family and those around us. We use words, uh, well, not we, but people use words to write legislation, <laughs> which affects our nation and the world. Politi the words that politicians use can make or break their campaign. I don't know if you were following the Democratic uh, uh, um, race here, but uh, Joe Biden won South Carolina, and he made two speeches that were right dead on, and boom, he's right back in the race again. I'm sure there were some other factors going on there as well, but the words that we speak do make a difference. The average word, uh, the average person, they say, says 16,000 words a day. Some more, some less. Men, perhaps a little less. Women, perhaps. Hey, um, <laughs> it is, it is. If we'd listened the first time, we wouldn't have to use all those extra words. It's a... Uh, that is, uh, boy, this is going down fast. That's 112,000 words a week, 5 million words a year, and if you live to be 70, 350 million words. We have a lot to say, don't we? We have a lot to say, but we don't listen very well, do we? And so, uh, you know, maybe you've had this experience of, uh, and I've had that a lot here um, not so much recently, but at the very beginning, people would introduce themselves, they'd tell me their name, and five minutes later, I couldn't remember it. Like, what is that? And then, uh, you know, uh, or maybe you've had this experience when, you're, when your wife says, uh, so, so okay? And you're like, you're, absolutely, honey. Man, I have no idea what, what was just said. You know? And, you know, when you're talking and you think other people are listening, they're not listening. They're just trying to figure out what they're going to say next, you know? Words. We use them, but we don't listen very well. Now, there's an exception to all of this. And that exception is when a person is dying. I've been at the bedside many times, and you cling to those last words. And you listen, and you think, boy, this, is, this could be the most important thing this person has to say because they're communicating. Uh, it's difficult to communicate, and they struggle, and, and they say these words, and, and often they provide ultimate comfort for the family. It's a hard, hard time, but it can be beautiful. And so here we are with Jesus. He's been beaten within an inch of his life. He has carried his cross through the streets of Jerusalem until he has been exhausted and he collapses under the load. He's been taken to the hill of Golgotha and had nails driven through his hands. He's been stripped of his clothing. They've raised him up in the air and there he hangs between, between heaven and earth. He is dying. 
And it's very hard to speak. You can imagine how hard it is for Jesus to speak. And yet during the final six hours of Jesus' life, he speaks seven times. Seven simple sentences. But these sentences, which are scattered throughout all of the four Gospels, none of them list them all, so we have to kind of piece it together. But these, these, um, these words give us a glimpse into the heart of God. It's like a window into eternity. We see Jesus with his greatest convictions, his values, his heart is communicated in the final words that he speaks. And so we're going to be taking this journey over the next several weeks, and I hope that you'll intend to join us as much as you can. But let's, re- let's d- dive into the first one. The, the, first words of, uh, the, the first of the last words of Jesus are f- actually found in Luke 23, 34, but we're going to pick it up in verse 13 just to give it a little bit of context here at Jesus' trial. So f- follow along as I read. If you could advance me, I'm not advancing. Hello? There we are. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and the other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought me this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt, and I have examined him thoroughly up to this point in your presence, and I find him innocent. Herod came back with the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty, so I'm going to have him flogged, and then I'll release him. Then a mighty roar rose up from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, kill him, and release Barabbas to us. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection in Jerusalem against the government and for murder. Pilate argued with them because he wanted to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he demanded, why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So I will have him flogged, and then I'll release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. As they had requested, he released Barabbas, the man in prison for insurrection and murder, and he turned Jesus over to them to do as they wished. Down to verse 32 now. Two others, both criminals, were led out and executed with him. They came to a place called the Skull. They nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right hand and one on his left. As they had requested, he, he, I think I went the wrong way, I'm sorry. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Wow. So that is the story. And these are the wor- first words that Jesus speaks from the cross probably right after he has had the nails driven through his hands and feet and has been raised up into the, into the air. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is there anything more unexpected for a person to say? I imagine those, uh, those uh, soldiers at the foot of the, of the cross, um, 
they had experienced crucifixion, or at least witnessed it hundreds of times, if they were on crucifixion detail, and you, and you think, man, they probably heard everything. They heard cursing and swearing. They heard people begging for mercy. They heard people gibber, gibberish from people who had, who, had, who had lost their minds under the, under the pressure. I bet you they had never heard, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You can just imagine, I'm looking up at the cross. What's, what's going on here? How unexpected in the midst of suffering and pain and shock and confusion, Jesus has the presence of mind to say this. It gives us a window into what he was thinking. So, so what, what was it like for, that, for Jesus to say that? What was his experience like on the cross? Well, of course, we'll never know. But Psalm 22 gives us a glimpse It was written a thousand years before, and it's a prophecy about this precise moment. Look at this. This is is the psalm. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and and feet have have shriveled. I, I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. This is what Jesus was experiencing, and yet in that moment he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Jesus is not thinking of himself. He is thinking of others. He's thinking of you. Now, I want to just warn you as we get into the message, it doesn't conform to the notes that are on the back of your bulletin because I rewrote all of this on Friday, okay? So just hang with there, but there's plenty of space if you want to jot down a few things. The first thing that I notice about this, this first saying of Jesus is that it's a prayer. He's addressing the Father directly. Father, forgive them. Now, of Jesus' seven sayings, three of them are prayers, actually. He says, at the beginning of his crucifixion, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. In the middle of his crucifixion, he cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then at the end of the crucifixion, he says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Three of the seven are actually prayers. Jesus' crucifixion begins with prayer, and it ends with prayer. Wow, never really thought of it that way. Of course, Jesus had a very intimate relationship with his father. We know that. Um, and, and, and here it Jesus is throughout the entire uh, crucifixion process. He is in close communion with his father. So this gives us a glimpse of the Godhead. It gives us a glimpse into what the Trinity is doing while Jesus is being crucified. What are they talking about? What what is the communication between Father and Son? Jesus is dying. He's sacrificing himself for humanity. He's paying the sin debt for the whole world. What was God thinking? What was the Godhead talking about? What was consuming uh, their, their bandwidth, their attention? Father, forgive them. Jesus is pleading with the Father 
for an opportunity for his killers to be brought to repentance and salvation. Wow. Now, we live in an era in which there's a real lack of authenticity. I mean, you look at politicians, you look at pastors sometimes, you look at people, you look at social media, and there's so much out there that's fake. You know, and so a politician, I'm not talking about anyone in particular here this morning, but a politician raises up and there's, I'm a man of the people and, and I will fight for injustice and I will fight racism. And then you, they get caught on mic, you know, off, off stage saying the exact opposite. Or it's discovered that they're exploiting their, their staff or having an affair with, with, with somebody and cheating on their wife. And everything that they're living it doesn't line up at all with what they say. Uh, we have an AMEC meeting, which is the association which the church is in, uh, once, once a month. And so I was there this past, uh, uh, what was it, Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember. Um, and I was eating with the, with the breakfast, and they were talking about, the guys down the table a little bit, were talking about a, a, a famous um, uh, TV preacher who went on a crusade in India and while he was preaching to the street people, he, he and his wife were staying in a hotel which charged $17,000 a night. You know? Pass the plate. What? Fakery. Um, inauthentic. So, I got a question. Is Jesus one of them? Is God a fake? You know, Jesus publicly taught about forgiveness. It was kind of central to his message. In Matthew 5.44, he said, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In Luke 11, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Would you teach us how to pray? And so he, he gave the, our Father that, that beautiful prayer, and, and, he, and embedded right in that is, And forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us. You might also recall in, in uh, Matthew 18, uh, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, hey, how many times does a brother have to offend me and I have to forgive him? Seven? You remember what Jesus said? No, 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 no. Seventy times seven, which is, you know, 400, an unlimited amount of time. We are to extend. And that's what Jesus taught. Jesus instructs others, well, what about now? What about when push comes to shove? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus practices what he preaches. God is not fake. Jesus is not inauthentic. He is exactly who he says he is. He is God in the flesh. He is faithful. There's a, a quote that was written, I think, back in the 1800s. And when I study, I, I read a lot of commentaries and I read some other messages. And, and this, this quote kept popping up in everybody's commentary and message. Let me read it to you. As soon as the blood of the great sacrifice began to flow, the great high priest began to intercede. Whew, man, that gets me. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So who's Jesus talking to here? Who's the, the they? Who's the them? Is it the hard-bitten Roman soldiers 
who are on crucifixion detail, they've seen this a hundred times. They're cold, they're calloused. In fact, they're so unconcerned, they're gambling over a man's garment before he's even dead. Jesus is watching this unfold. How about Pilate? Man, we, in that reading, that Pilate is so culpable, and the Roman officials, they knew better. They proclaimed Jesus' innocence, but they eventually bowed to political pressure, and val- he values his job more than the life of an innocent man. How low can you go? Is that, is that who Jesus is talking to? How about the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the chief priests and scribes? They were against Jesus from day one, right? I mean, they saw him as a threat, a rival, this, they would say, a false Messiah who threatens the temple, the ritual, uh, their position, and most importantly, their comfortable relationship with Rome. Is it the Jewish leaders? They should have known better. How about the crowd? The crowd, the crowd who, who uh, the week before, earlier in the week, was saying, Hosanna to the Son of the... And, and, throw, and they're laying down their clothes, and they're, they're praising God, and they're having a, a worship fest. And then a week later, less than a week later, crucify him, crucify him. Now, I know they were goaded on by, 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 the, by, the, uh, by the leaders, but man, the crowd, they were the one who turned the tide. How about the disciples? You know, the ones that Jesus loved the most. Um, They boasted that they'd never leave Jesus, right? Peter said, I'll die with you. Where are they? They're gone. So, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Who's he talking to? Who does Jesus want to forgive? Who, Who does he desire to be drawn to repentance and find forgiveness in his name? Who does he want to be restored to the Father in relationship regardless of what they've done? Ready? Everyone. All of them. Not a single one left out. Jesus wants to forgive them all. Wow. You say, that's not, that's not possible. Well, listen to Jesus' own words. John 12, 32. But I... Jesus is saying when he's talking about his crucifixion, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. That's women, children, you know, all, everyone. Second Peter 3.9, this comes from the guy who denied him, Peter. He says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so when we're talking about this desire that Jesus has for, for you, for us, to experience forgiveness, he is talking about everyone. Everyone. Now, there are people here this morning who are holding God at arm's length. Some of you uh, may not have a commitment to Jesus and not be a follower of him. You're holding him at arm's length. Some of you are a follower of Jesus, and you too are holding him at arm's length. And, and, and this is the reasoning. You say, Man, if, he knew, if you knew what I had done, if you know the people I've hurt, the mess I've made, it's unforgivable. I can't forgive myself, and God could never forgive it. That's a lie. He can forgive it. He was praying for that while he was dying. 
Jesus was praying that we would see Jesus for who he is and, and, and what he said he was. He wanted us to see that we would have a desperate need for the Savior and that we would turn in repentance and find forgiveness and pardon. He said it from the cross. And so who are we to deny the forgiveness that God died and said he wanted to give to us? And yet people do. So, what about the statement, they don't know what they're doing? What's, what's that about? You know, it's, it, of course they knew what they were doing. It's not like they woke up and said, oh, oh he died. What? What's it, what's it say? Okay, it's not that they weren't aware of their actions. They were fully aware of their actions. What I think Jesus is saying here is they aren't aware of the true extent of their actions. 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, None of the rulers of this age understood it, for had they, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They had no idea what they were accomplishing, both on the good side for the forgiveness and salvation of, of, of those who would repent, but also on the bad side, they had no idea that they were, to put it in popular, they were killing God, that they were slaying the innocent Savior of the world. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, tell a little story here. Uh, So years ago, we uh, bought a home down in Virginia, and it was built in 1965, so it was, it was very well built. And we went in, and there was maroon carpet throughout. It was that time of age, you know, maroon. Um, so I was like, huh, oh, well, you're going to have to replace this at some point. I mean, we didn't have a whole lot of money. So I, I peeled up the carpet in the dining room, and there's hardwood, oak hardwood, under, under the entire house. I'm like, and I was like, well, that's easy, and especially a dining room. I don't want my carpet in a dining room. So, so I stripped out the carpet, and there was the, the hardwoods underneath, but they were in bad shape. Um, and so they had, uh, uh, they had driven uh, nails down throughout to stop all the squeaks. So I, I, I had to back every single nail out one by one and put in uh, wood putty, and it squeaked, but they looked beautiful, you know? Um, <laughs> There, the, the, the padding had kind of adhered to the top, and so it was, it was just a mess. So Pam and the kids uh, were going to go up, come up to Pennsylvania to spend time with, uh, they, they has, just traditionally do this over, East, over Christmas break. They go up and they spend a week with family while I'm, you know, I have pastoral duties, um, so I, I stay home. So I said, okay, great. While they're gone, I'm going to uh, refinish the dining room, dining room floor. So, so they, they leave. I, I, did I even tell you? I probably, I don't know if I did. But I was like, bye-bye. And then they leave, and I pull everything out. And I rent a sander, a big ba- belt sander, right? And I start going at this. It's like, boy, this is kicking up a lot of dust. Oh, man. Dust throughout the whole house, over every surface. It took longer to clean the house than it did to refinish the floor. 
Dust just went everywhere. I'm sure when we moved out 18 years later, there was still some sawdust somewhere that we swept up. It was such a mess. Now Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the extent of what they're doing. Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Okay, I'll say that. (laughs) But follow me now. Isn't that a beautiful, or not, uh, not a beautiful, isn't that a true picture of sin? We sin and we think we know the extent of it. We have no idea what we're doing. The extent of that sin, the repercussions of that just go out and cover everything in our lives. We think of sin as an inconvenience or we say it's a mistake or a slip up. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know what the effects of it are. We forget the enslaving nature of sin. Some of you have had the terrible experience of, as a child, your parents saying something really hurtful to you, like, I'm sorry you were born, or you were a mistake. They had no idea the destructive nature of what they said. No idea that you would be carrying that for a lifetime. You think of, uh, of a man who's, who's uh, you know, uh, and he's tempted, and he goes onto, onto his laptop and he, he clicks on pornography for the first time. He has no idea what he's doing. He has no idea the extent of that. And you know what? If Adam and Eve had known the, the sinful pandemic that they would have released on, on planet Earth, they would have never eaten the fruit either. Sin's like that. It goes further than we could ever know. So so Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And that's true of us. We We don't know what we're doing. In spite of that, God is still desiring to forgive us. So, last thought. Well, was Jesus' prayer ever answered? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm going to put out there today, I think it was answered. Now, it would have been easy for those who were attending and participating in the crucifixion, if they ever really figured out who Jesus was, they would have been convinced that they had committed the unpardonable sin. No way. It's like, he is actually God in the flesh. He is the Savior of the world. (laughs) And I literally drove the nails. I'm toast. I'm done. There's nothing that could be done. But Jesus prayed that they would come to realize who he is, what they had done, and if they repented, that they would find forgiveness in his name. Was the prayer answered? Well, looking in uh, Matthew 27, 54, you probably know the story. The Roman officer And the other soldiers at the crucifixion who were terrified by the earthquake and all that happened, they said, this man truly was the Son of God. Okay, wait, wait a minute. From from gambling over over the, the dying man's coat to this man was the Son of God. That has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Peter preached just 40 days later. And he preached a great sermon in which 3,000 people came to Christ. Notice what he said. People of Israel, listen. 
God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles, wonders, signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to a crowd of people in Jerusalem. Who was this crowd? It was the same, I'm not extent, but it was the overlap of the same crowd which had condemned Jesus. Peter brings them and says, you crucified him. And they say, well, what should we do? Repent um, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and 3,000 people come back. What's the explanation for that? I've read Peter's message in, in Acts 2. I mean, it, it's good. It's better than anything I'll ever preach. I mean, it's really good. But is it 3,000 people good? Well, when Jesus' prayer is answered and people realize that they can be forgiven and they're willing to repent and turn from their sin and turn to God and say, say, save me. Even those who nailed him to the cross can come to faith. A little bit later, in Acts 3, we looked at this passage actually a couple of weeks ago, and this was after Peter and John healed the lame man, and all of that happened, and Jesus, uh, Jesus, Peter stands up and he preaches another sermon, and this is what he says, friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. You don't know what you're doing, is what Jesus said. But God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, how he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And 2,000 people come to faith in Christ. Again, who were these people? They were the people whose leaders did to Jesus that was done in ignorance. You don't know what you're doing. Now you do. What are you going to do? One last thing in Acts, um, it just says a little commentary. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. The Jewish priests. So I would maintain to you that Jesus' prayer was answered in that over 5,000 people, many uh, who were involved directly in the crucifixion, came to faith in Christ. Jesus' prayer has been answered. But let me ask you this. Has Jesus' prayer been answered in your life? He prayed for us too. We were the ones who don't know what we're doing. And sin has racked and ruined our lives. Have you come? Have you accepted Jesus? Have you received the forgiveness of your sins? God, Jesus, is praying that that would happen. Notice this is a, uh, another prophecy, Isaiah 53, which is a beautiful passage. If I had to give you homework for over the next, uh, uh, next season of, of the church here, Read this. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Are you, has Jesus' prayer been answered for you and for us who know Jesus, are you living in the light of the forgiveness that Jesus died to provide you? 
Are you still walking bound by, by your past and the things that you've done? Now, communion is a celebration of this forgiveness. So I asked the guys to go and start to assemble here as I talk. Communion is a celebration of Jesus' forgiveness. It's actually a celebration of this prayer. As we take the, the bread, which was broken for you, it pictures... It pictures what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. When we take the cup and we drink the juice, it's to remind us of the blood that Jesus shed for you and me so that we could have forgiveness. Now, please hear me. This celebration is for those who have received his forgiveness. If you haven't yet made that decision, then this isn't for you, unless, of course, you are willing to repent of your sins and turn to Christ and say, the forgiveness that Jesus prayed for, I need, I, I want, and I'm willing to repent of my sins and turn to Christ. And so as we celebrate, this is what the, uh, the ushers, the guys are going to do. They're going to they're pass out all of the elements to you, the, both the bread and the juice, the wine, just hold it in your hands, and as the music plays here a little bit, just think about the forgiveness that God has provided for you, and then at the end, we'll take it all together.